Francisco winds are blowing all right And in my mind I'm feeling fine Save me alone I'm coming home And now Welcome to Burrito Justice Radio here on BFF.FM. We are broadcasting live from the heart of the mission and two guests today, not one guest, two guests. 
We have John King, the now is it architecture critic? Is it urban, urban design, design critic? critic? Okay, uh, for the San Francisco Chronicle. I almost said the 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 Examiner and like the Daily Alta. I've been looking at a lot of old newspapers lately. The Call. The Call, exactly. The Morning Call or the Afternoon Call? Which one was it? Actually, the Call Bulletin after, okay. after uh, they merged. Got it, I'm got young. it. 1890s or so. All right, all right. Wow, you're older than I thought. You really look spry <laughs> for being 190 years old. Uh, and fourth, fourth appearance on the show, Marcosaurus. I a think, record? I think it may be a record. I think um, I think Olu uh, and uh, Richie were on three times. So uh, I think TK's been on two or three times. So yeah, I think you are definitely the record holder, other than myself, right. of course. Yeah. You know, which is pushing 50-ish shows, which is kind of surprising. Uh, so thank you for coming on here. So, um, yeah, we have many, many uh, interesting topics, both uh, current and historical. But I wanted to uh, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, so and uh, two, a good example of two people I've gotten to know via the, the Infosphere uh, Twitter um, and so, uh, John, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and uh, who you are, what you do, why you do it, how you got into it, um, and then we can get into your architectural likes okay. and dislikes, which right. I think everyone's waiting with <coughs> with bated breath to hear your opinions on very many buildings in this in this lovely city of ours. I am an old school journalist. I have a history major. I'm a history major from Berkeley, uh, journalism master student from Indiana University. My master's thesis was on Herb Cain. No way. It was. Wow. Because I wanted to do a master's thesis I would actually write and get finished. And I decided to pick someone who I enjoyed reading. So uh-huh. it is not on, it's not a bio, it's a quantitative and qualitative study of the column itself. Wow. The best unpublished thing ever on Herb Cain. Uh, can you get that published? Do you still have a copy of it? Oh, I've got several copies Let's of get it. That this, out. this is from the pre computer age where it's, you know, you've got the hardbound copy of your thesis that you submit. But well, you could they probably do that. But you could probably oh, like cut the, the size of the thesis like by half by just using the uh, the ellipses rather than the three dots. No, you no, know, you no, just get one it, character for it. That would probably it, cut the character then count. Then it would cut down the rhythm. He was all about the rhythm. Well, you keep it in, you just like re encode it. It's like the magic of Unicode coming through here. Oh, yeah, but so then I moved to Boston and was freelancing doing uh, kind of art stuff, book reviews, record reviews, mm-hmm. concert reviews, and doing freelance on neighborhood pieces um, in all cases for very small papers that didn't pay a whole lot of money except the Quincy Patriot Ledger, which was a suburban daily that, uh-huh. that paid a lavish $35 a review or something wow. like that. And then... Inflation adjusted, that's like that's better than 30, that. 40 grand. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the kind of the fork in the road was that I was offered a job at a neighborhood weekly in downtown Boston mm-hmm. rather than somebody doing arts. And if you wrote about downtown Boston in the 1980s for a little neighborhood weekly, you're writing about big buildings. It was like San Francisco. Really? Lots of big developers coming in wanting to do big towers. Lots of fights over that. Lots of fights over how the towers looked. We don't want towers that look like ice boxes. We want towers that look like, you know, Venetian villas or something like that. Well, and they, have the that great, Ch- they have that in China now. Not quite that bad. <laughs> Although it got there, but kind of in a humorless way by the end of the decade. Right. But the great thing about journalism is you can land, learn on the job. Right. So I had a real interest in the, in all this and was in Boston. Uh, my wife and I are both from the San Francisco Bay Area. We moved back, and I got a job at the Chronicle. I was covering planning. And after about a year, they said, boy, your stuff's really good. It's really fascinating. 
we want you to cover City Hall and cover the mayor's office because who cares about <laughs> who cares about planning? Right. Um, it was not one of the real hot times in San Francisco. So I covered the election where Willie Brown became mayor. Oh, really? Which was a lot of fun. Went to Paris with Willie Brown. Like that and, sounds like the name of a play. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then became a call. I grew up in Walnut Creek and became a columnist when again this is all pre. Pre, certainly pre-Craigslist and pre-social media handheld devices things, but the Chronicle launched a bunch of regional editions in the late 90s, and I was our Contra Costa columnist. Ah. I was king of the county. Was <laughs> It's what the billboard said, so I, nice. I, I got a copy of the billboard. Um, and then from there, the Chronicle and Examiner merged, and times were flush, and... I talked my way into the job I have now, which is uh, basically it's architecture critic, except I'm more interested in how things fit together rather than the individual pieces. (laughs) And since then, uh, journalism has changed a lot, means of communications and passing along information has changed a lot, but people in the Bay Area are fascinated by the stuff I write about, and it looks good in the paper, and it gets lots of clicks online, so I've still doing what I like to do. That's awesome. And you've evolved with the times. Yes. Well, I love the whole creating your own position and then having that stick. That's pretty... Uh, well, it's an... It, you know, people live here because they care about stuff. That's you know, true. A lot of cities, if you say we want to tear things down and do crazy big things, it'll be like, great, somebody's doing something. Right. In San Francisco, it's, you know, how dare you suggest doing this because my, you know, I've just paid $2 million for my house, so... It's the utopian. MC Hammer uh, <laughs> style of architecture d- and design can't touch this. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it's interesting you said that uh, when you were the city hall, um, well, I was almost said critic, which I guess in a way you were. <laughs> um, that's where sort of n- nothing really interesting was happening. I think that is sort of a good segue into um, the design and planning um, process in San Francisco or the lack thereof and sort of mm-hmm. the post, the wave of post uh, no Manhattanization. Um, and then how that sort of seems like it froze, you know, that battle in the 70s right. and 80s seemed to have frozen a lot of things in the 90s or the few things that were built were, you know, horrifically ugly. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, lots, I mean, it's, you know, the whole battle over Manhattanization, you know, a term that still gets kind of shaken at me by people. With angry fist, fist raised. Mark does that a lot, I see. He's like, well, bless the, but the, the wonderful thing, I mean, if someone's, attacking me over the Manhattanization issue, it means they still subscribe to the paper. (laughs) But this gets into a deeper issue in the city, which is the demographic that kind of defined what San Francisco should be is this kind of group of young anarchist activists who arrived here in the 60s, and from the 60s to the 80s had all these fights with the old establishment to kind of define what San Francisco should be. Uh-huh. They're now people in their 60s and 70s, and they're upset that people who are younger than them... Have opinions? Have opinions that <laughs> don't reflect the fact that these issues have already been settled. Right. And, you know... And settled it, in quotes. Yeah, but... You know, San Francisco, what are San Francisco values? Well, no building should be this. No building Mm. should be that. Neighborhood should be this. Neighborhood should be that. And then you get, you know, people who they don't care if a building's 8 or 12 stories as long as it's got a good ground floor and bike racks outside. You know, it's just, it's a different... Looking over at Mark. (laughs) Well, he has a foldable bike, so you really don't need a bike rack. 
No, you don't. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was actually we got uh, our, our typical pre-burrito, uh, or pre-show burrito, and um, there was not just Mark in there with a foldable bike. There, there's another customer in there with a foldable bike. It was like a convention. There's at least two in the city. Now. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but basically looking at how, you know, and, and I think one thing that Mark has covered in previous shows is, you know, there, there is sort of like a feast or famine sort of design and building um, cycle. Right. And really no one's gotten figured out how to successfully set up planning so you, you know, build when it's cheap during these recessions. Right. And versus this whole sort of battle royale right now of, you know, eight gajillion dollars a square foot of construction costs um, and, you know, one of the most expensive building climates in in the world. You know, so how, what is it about, you know, San Francisco and planning and design? I mean, Mark's mm-hmm. previously spoke about, like, you know, how, why it's so expensive. It kind right. of gone through from, you know, both the land and the construction sure. costs. But, I mean, what is it, is a city getting any better in planning for the future and having a more even build out or is that something that's just like economically not feasible? I, I don't think that's really possible and once you get into large scale buildings I don't think it's possible and I was going to say a fascinating thing but it's only fascinating to the three of us in the room and a few spur members and things <laughs> the whole building boom that you're seeing like around Rincon Hill and all right. those were towers that were entitled in like 2006, 2007 because Rincon Hill did go through a lot of planning from the late 90s to 2005 saying okay we need to make room for more housing in the city we're going to raise heights we're going to put them here it's not close to anybody nobody was paying attention but I mean, but also there are a lot of real good urbanistic reasons for doing it. But we're going to raise these heights. A whole bunch of towers were lined up to go through the process once it was done. They all got their approvals. One went up, right. you know, the, the the air purifier next to the bridge. <laughs> and then the market just, and, and the, two, um, the two glass towers, and then everything stopped. Right. It's once, you know, the developers kept getting the permits and, t- you know, they extended for two years. And then once things started to come down, all of a sudden, instead of not having any money for any towers, every lender in the world wants to put money into San Francisco. So now if you drive down Fremont Street, hmm. you go by six, five or six tower projects. Right. No, I mean, there's like more construction cranes than there are in well, Dubai. If, if you go around <laughs> Soma, though, there's a ton of low-rise construction underway. That's, right. A lot of it's kind of slid under the radar, but some of these are buildings with close to 500 units, I mean, which is But huge. this is like four-story kind of things? or like five, five-story five. typically. Yeah, there's right. like one at Fifth and, uh, Fifth and Folsom that's got several hundred and the two pieces together. Right, and there's one, there's a huge one at the, it's 8th, I think, at the off-ramp from 101. There's a huge site that used to be bus parking. There's um, And planning for that started like 2007 or something. Yeah, and the project on uh, 16th, um, David Baker, my former office, designed that has been in planning (laughs) since 2001, I think. So you're basically looking at easily 7 to 10 year planning cycle for getting some of these larger. Well, it's funding. It's not... Not just, the, not planning just the planning approval, and it, and it depends. It's it's. Oh, so, so what is that? But what is that like the, for a unit like those guys you were talking about, like the the five story one I and mean, the one by a one on one? Like wh- what does that cost? I mean, like what's the actual end cost of that to to build? Not on a per unit basis, but oh, I I don't know offhand. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, are we talking like half a million? I mean, on, on you order mean of magnitude for the whole building. Yeah, yeah, uh, for a 
like 400 like how much does one rincon cost like the actual construction that cost? would be several probably two or three hundred million dollars okay. right and then maybe like yeah most of these projects are more like a hundred hundred million for this million four to five story yeah maybe less a little less than that okay so that's a few hundred million though that's that should be easy to get this day and age <laughs> well that the crazy thing is is you have to find someone who in the in the bowels of the depression Right, we'll willing say, to give up their cash. Let's be realistic. This is San Francisco. The tide's going to turn. Right. Now's the time to get my bid. Right. Um, you know, the second piece of one Rencon that went up that's mm-hmm. just getting finished, that was like the first one to come up out of the ground as this was cooling down. The developer was telling me he paid like 25 or 35% less per square foot to build number two than he really? did to build number one, wow. which went up. And, you know, it it's all a crapshoot in this stuff. Right. So, like, of the new construction, this is a question for both you guys. Like, what are what are a couple things that you you really? We'll talk about like what you really don't like after. But what what are what are a couple that you really do like? And say like two or three um, larger projects that are underway in the city, and two or three that you actually really think are are cool and interesting and will stand the test of time and aren't your typical sort of you know, like um, rectilinear blobby kind of, you know, I would say the ticky-tacky equivalent of a, a um, you know, like 50 to 100 unit building. No pressure, Mark. Wait, you're in San Francisco? Yes. Yeah. I, I like the SFMOMA expansion. Yeah. Actually, I like what's been happening around Hayes Valley. I hate to give a, I shouldn't say hate to give a plug. I'll give a plug to Mark's <laughs> former employer, David Baker. I think... If you go up on, Jesus, it's Goff, I think. There are two David Baker and Architects projects. Mm-hmm. Mark down one of them. Excellent. There we go. Richard, the better, the Richardson better one, Apartments obviously. and 300 Ivy. Mm-hmm. One is supportive housing, extremely low income, formerly homeless people. Mm-hmm. The other is very upscale, market rate, low rise. They're both terrific buildings. I mean, it. I really like just how Hayes Valley is coming together urbanistically, yeah. and I think a lot of the buildings in there are good buildings. And a tower I gave a real um, friendly review to a few weeks ago, kind of surprising myself. There's a new tower <laughs> on Mission 535. Yes, Mission. yeah, I remember that one. Kind of a kind of you could say it's like kind of a stubby World Trade Center type tower mm-hmm. in the sense of the chamfers, but it's oh, it's okay. a lot simpler than that. And that's one that. There's so many kind of strained efforts at making, either being super innocuous or making a splash, that that one I found myself as it went up really liking it because there's a calmness to it. Sort of a subtle practicality. And a well-done calmness. Yeah. The the black tower across the street from that is good, too. I think it's a Pelly. Yes. It? Yeah, 560 five, Mission. Yeah, That's, 560 Mission. I did a top 10 list at the end of the decade. That was my top tower. Really? <laughs> Not surprised. Wow. I probably read that. <laughs> Stuck with you. Um, what are some ones that you think are horrific and that you're like, what are you guys thinking? And I mean, I know a lot of these things, we're just talking about like walking in the way over your house. Some things really look good in the drawings and they just don't translate well, whether it's the materials or, you know, like artistic flair or, you know, people looking too dramatic standing in elegant poses outside the building. But what are some things that basically you're like, oh man, like, yeah, and maybe maybe refining the question a little bit. What are some ones that you thought were going to be really cool, but that just turned out badly? And other ones you're like, it was a train wreck you could see coming from a very whatever I'm a, I'm distance a, you can see I'm a train wreck. I'm going to start away. with one I hope I'm proved wrong on. Uh-huh. There is a tower going up at. You can't sec- say Sutro Tower. 
No, no, no. We'll get to that. We'll get to We're that later. We're talking fresh and new. Off, okay. off, just Come on, dude. The 70s the are fresh and new. Come on. <laughs> in San Francisco, they are. <laughs> 1870s are fresh and new. Are you kidding me? No, at 2nd and Howard, there is a tower going up. I love 2nd Street. You know, it's this real kind of ramshackle bit of masonry that's taken on real character. At 2nd and Howard, there is a big, stubby, all-glass thing going up that's about 30 stories high that is kind of like shingled dark glass. And I so hope I'm proved wrong when it's done, but to me it's absolutely what shouldn't be there. It's mm-hmm. I feel personally culpable. Um, <laughs> I saw the design back around 2007. Right. And I thought, oh, this looks horrible. But, you know, there have been three approved towers on this site. Right. Going back to the 80s. Oh, like that they just never finished. Or never came the, to fruition. It always got washed out. A developer right. would get permission, and then there'd be a bust. Why doesn't the city set up like some sort of architecture building grant to take over a project that is basically the bottom falls out, and then they own it? You don't it. really want to build commercial real estate that nobody's going to use. Yeah, but they're not going to use it just then. They'll use it later if they're building that it. Would, and, then, and then you could go build it. It's like turn it into housing. It's cheap because they're like, hey, buy it for a song, 10 cents on the dollar. Instead of your 300 million tower, you get a 30 million tower. I, hey, think, you, I think you should stand up at the next budget hearings and say... I think the city should set aside $500 million for building stuff cheap when the tide goes out on the next boom. I, I, I want to see you at the subcommittee here and see yeah. how far it gets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Land bank. Um, Mark, what are, what are some of your um, Well, a building wish... that was finished recently or almost finished is the glass condo building where... Um, the bike lane goes behind Safeway. I, I can't remember what that corner is. Oh, Lumina. Is. Lumina. Oh, yes. Lumina. All right. It's got a, I know which one you mean. Yeah. Really bad ground floor. I mean, I, I can't imagine. Oh, who but was. it doesn't stop there. <laughs> no, it doesn't stop there. But, <laughs> but that's but the wait. part you see when you're going. But wait, there's more. Going up Market Street, but it's just, you know, no thought at all. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily against glass, but there's just nothing to do with the context of the neighborhood. It's very chunky, massing. Um, wait, no, no, that's not the one. Uh, it's the same firm, Architectonica, yeah. but it's down probably about the 1600 block it's by of Safeway. Mission. Yeah, so it'd be Buchanan or something like the that. Market, yeah, Market and Buchanan. Yeah, yeah and, the thing, and it's interesting. I saw the very initial architectural concepts mm-hmm. and thought it looked like it had the chance of being pretty cool. And it was a, like kind of a movement of squares all right. descending on the corner and you can say that's whatever but it seemed to have some real movement to it and then what went up is just this big kind of flat set of prison bars that i think it's a really cheap chinese curtain wall also oh. i mean the whole thing is just it's very this one mm, no i uh, type in lumina yeah i am mm. Oh, no, no, not Lumina. I'm sorry, that's a different Architectonica project. They're doing 100 things. Oh, jeepers, what is that? We know Uh, we don't like it. Mark's at work. The thing, you know, it's funny because I always crab in print about how, you know, let's have the architects do something with a little drama instead of these designs that look like they just went through 900 different committees. Mm -hmm. That one's definitely got some oomph to it. But it just it just doesn't do the trick. 1998 market okay. is what Mark has found. Okay. And there's a very old rendering of it, which it, it looks absolutely nothing like that. Yeah. 
I mean, anyway. So, so is it so. is it the design guys not talking to the materials guys, or is it like changes get made along the way, well, or is it changes made like physics? The re- renderings are not reality, and I, I, they've become so realistic. I think mm-hmm. people. Is it this one? Uh, yes, that's yeah. that's an old. Okay. Yeah, very old rendering of it. So I, I think that the the renderings are so realistic now that people see them and they they think that that's what the project's going to look like. And that you know the lighting is often completely unrealistic. The sun's on the wrong side of the building. You know, I'll you know you could go on and on kind of with what. I think there's also linea. Is that it? Linea. Linea. Yes. That? Okay. I think there's also a problem. You get projects that are done by big firms. Right. I, there's a lot of good to having big firms, but. You know, they kind of knock the thing off, and they've got 89 different projects going on four continents. And so as far as they're concerned, it just kind of is going to roll through. And so if the developer's then sitting there and says, oh, I can get a really cheap curtain wall in China and save X tens of thousands of dollars, there isn't the kind of almost hubristic stake in it, to right. use the kind of word I wouldn't use in print, where people are going to defend it. It's going to be, okay, apparently that was a problem with... Um, the the dark one at Tenth and Market Nema mm-hmm. that the curtain wall kind of got priced down by that and that was a big national developer right and then on top of that you have the marketing side of Nema which is highly entertaining <laughs> you got a lot of the Enema Twitter account which is whoever's running that kind of kind of brilliant but I love how though I from what I heard is the people who live in there are horrifically embarrassed by the way it's marketed and are like extraordinarily unhappy about it innovate don't agitate oh geez (laughs) um so what do you guys think of uh the vita on uh, mission the new mission uh theater building um on uh uh, mission the and i'll show you if you you know the the crazy angle one right i'm gonna tweet a picture of it here i made a gif of it on the way in so you'll see exactly what it looks like True confession, I have not seen it since the scaffolding came down. I just keep hearing people saying, what do you think about Vita on Mission Street? I mean, that's the kind of thing, like, it could be really dynamic as the rendering show, or it could be really stale and dated. All right, we'll show you here. We'll do the... Uh, I just tweeted this out here, and I'm now handing my phone over, trusting that. Um these guys will not take over my Twitter account. <laughs> but it's, here we go. Did you already tweet 18 things since that? Oh, here we go. So, so I've seen it from like the next intersection uh, right. from my bike. So right. I'm not sure I'm qualified. I mean, I got to say, it's like, I, I if you look at the... Um, the like the Walgreens on Cesar Chavez in Mission, mm-hmm. and that's just mm-hmm. like a. I mean, that building could be in Mountain View. I mean, not that, actually. I, sh- I should take that back. Cause they're actually not building anything in Mountain View, <laughs> but it's your typical like South Bay kind of like stucco. That building's terrible. Yeah, it's just like, and then the colors they chose is like, oh god. You know, if they just left it white, it would have been far I better. Actually, I reviewed that building. You did. You reviewed that building. Well, but I reviewed it as an example mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. how can the city take what could be. I don't mean city as in the city planning department, but the, the ethos of the city. Take what should be a very important gateway corner and do that kind of junk on it. And part of it is it was that was the uh, symbolic fight for the gentrification fight back in 2000, 2001. Right, right. And 
you know, I talked to a guy afterwards, and he's, uh, when I was doing the review, who was kind of leading, and he says, we didn't care how tall it was. We just wanted the affordability issues. Right. But what do you do in San Francisco? You push it down, you push it down, you push it down. Hmm. And it probably went to, through two or three developers. Oh, so it was, it was supposed to be taller in terms of push it no, down or push I mean, down the cost? maybe the original proposal. But, okay. I mean, nobody cares about the design. It's how do we get this thing approved? Right. How many bones can we throw to people? Well, the funny thing is in the 1930s, there was actually a fairly awesome-looking apartment building there that obviously fewer units than they have now. But, I mean, it looked, you know, something almost the same, same kind of mass that was there in, until they tore it down and built that exciting paint shop. The you know, drive giant in. parking lot. Exactly. exactly. Because we need, yeah. nothing says desire for parking like paint. Contractors want convenient parking. Exactly, That's exactly. Go to De La City? No, I want to get my paint in Cesar Chavez and, and Mission. Um, yeah, so I mean, I got to say, I actually, I, I, I kind of like the Vita just because it's, it's much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, the second question to that is, and I think this is almost impossible to tell, but how will these things age? How right. will they be looked upon? in 10 20 50 100 years right and who knows if any of these buildings will be around in 100 years um but uh, it's it's even to say that 50 year time frame is totally not is not unrealistic and i mean the colors the colors i mean you know the orange right i I don't think orange is going to go to style (laughs) then again the 70s orange and brown are big and yellow right and that sort of died out and the angles i mean it's, it's, it's at least interesting to look at it's not this sort of bland facade Well, that that's the thing i mean that's the thing is that it's surprising to see all the modernism going up and you know socketsite.com there's a plug is kind of the best daily place to check mm-hmm. to see what's in the works and all that stuff just looks the same oh, we're now looking at arena photographs uh, mark, mark arena is already porn. tuned out he's, he's already yellow no but it, but it's it's kind of it, it's interesting because you had this stuff the kind of product, you know, the building you're talking about down at Cesar Chavez, so much of that kind of dreck was built mm-hmm. or, or at least approved in kind of the 80s into the early 2000s that it's good to see things shaking up. But the question will be, will they be endearing artifacts? Will they be good urbanism? Like mm-hmm. the, the buildings I mentioned in Hayes Valley, even though styles will change, I think the urban bones for those buildings are so good that they will really continue. Vita will be interesting. It might look like an artifact, but I'll tell you that the most poignant architectural story in San Francisco this year, there was this cheesy little postmodern clock tower building at Front uh, right, California yeah, yeah. Street. Mm-hmm. I remember you writing about that. And I never liked it. I just always thought, oh my God, this is how bad the 80s were. And then I find out the Historic Preservation Commission has allowed the clock tower to be taken off and all the strong colored stone to be bleached beige (laughs) because the new owner wanted this innocuous flat top thing. And I was surprised. I found myself, I did this piece in the paper, like, this is outrageous. It's like, it so so marked the era that that put it in the target of the owner. Right. But it also had a real clean honesty to it that kind of made it, much to my surprise, valued it even in me in a way I didn't think was there. Well, and it's, it's almost like you need, you have the generation that builds it, the next generation kind of hates it, and the generation after right. that wants to preserve it. You look at Victorians, right. right? And you get sort of like, yeah, that 80s sort of squarish architecture. I don't know the best way to, I mean, to describe it. You know the kind of thing I'm talking about, almost like you know, suburban mall architecture. You know, um, And 
you know, again, who knows how people will look upon that in, in 50 is, years. Though, you know, or do people only appreciate yeah. it because a bunch of it was torn down and only a few survived? And you're like, ooh, wow. Hey, that, that made it. So this obviously it survived. It fought its way through to relevance. <laughs> you know, sort of this Darwinian architecture. Yeah, but so few, so little's built in San Francisco. Uh, you know, you, you look at these old things. They're like 97 cool art modern buildings that went up in San Francisco in, you know, 1928. Mm-hmm. And 94 of them got torn down, wow. so we got three really cool ones left. You know, the stuff going up, there's not so much of it going up now that when it comes down, there'd be any left. Right, right. Okay, well, let's, uh, we're going to go and uh, talk about the uh, sports arena um, um, decisions and lack thereof after this musical break. So uh, we're going to go into this first one, uh, brought in to. Uh, songs brought in lovingly chosen and curated uh, by Mr. King here and uh, we're going to start off with your set so I think you had um, let's see uh, I have the list over here but it looks like this is uh, Freezy Ford X of the Be Good Tanya's alright and we're going to go with this uh, September Field I think is actually the first song and Indian Ocean so how did you find out about this what's your oh my wife and well uh, my wife and I were good beat big Be Good Tanya fans, uh-huh. and then happened to see that they were at the Freight and Salvage. We live in Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, True Confessions, Uh-oh. and except except for the wonderful audiences there, it it's a great club. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I tend to throw off the demographics on the young side, which is kind of <laughs> scary, but um, she happened to be playing, so we went, and it was terrific, and bought it afterwards standing in line type of thing all right well let's start off in this we'll be back in about 10 minutes with some more architecture talk
John, tell us a little bit more about those last two songs we heard there. Okay, the second one, the first was Frazee Ford, X of Be Good, Tanya's. The second was Cat Power, 369, Monkey on My Back, and Feel Just Fine. And the third was a fine Minnesota lad, Bob Dylan, Everything is Broken, which kind of feels like the the national news today. The national National Angst. and international news these days. The zeitgeist of, of America and the world. Sadly so. And America versus the world. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to jump in here now to talking about uh, sports. Not sports. Don't <laughs> worry, the real We Built the City. We're not actually talking about sports, but we're talking about containers for <laughs> sports in which athletes and money can be poured into. Um, so uh, I think we're, everyone's familiar with the ongoing um, uh drama around the Warriors arena. Uh, despite uh, Peter Hartlob's objections, they do seem to be moving from... from a Wait, can soon- he veto that? I don't know. I don't know if his authority extends <laughs> over the bridge. So I, I, I'm actually... 
Um, I'm not uncertain about his jurisdiction there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure. I'm cer- certainly uh, he can express his opinions about it. We welcome this kind of uh, criticism. Um, but uh, Mark, why don't you run through and basically for those who don't necessarily know the intrigue behind it and talk about um, the pier and then what happened and then where it's ending up and what's going to happen. Well, the Warriors, as probably everyone listening knows, play in Oakland right now, and there was a an effort to relocate the team to the the two the large Pier Thirty Thirty Two area. It's a parking lot now or a Christmas tree lot this month, <clears throat> just south of the Bay Bridge, and um, this was opposed by many in the neighborhood. Sort of the same same group of people that behind the wall in the waterfront campaign really didn't want to see a building that exceeded the height limit which i believe is 40 feet four uh, four, four feet four feet actually it's zero feet on some parts of the minus waterfront. four feet it's four, 40 feet the, the arena would have been substantially taller there was some other development that's supposed to be coming with the arena commercial development and so the the same sort of group of people put a lot of pressure on got the ballot uh ballot measure last year that um, said that any anything that exceeded the waterfront height limit needed to go before a vote of the, on port the city. Own land. Anything on port-owned land, right. which is most of the waterfront and the sort of downtown part of the city, anything on port-owned land would have to have to go to a vote. So the people backing the arena got nervous, found another piece of land that was where Salesforce wanted to put their campus originally over in Mission Bay. They backed out of that last year and, and consolidated uh, downtown, right? Decided that, you know, they could build it there and not have to go through any of these hoops to get it approved. And, you know, all the 40... former foes said it was a great idea, even though it also is, in fact, a site on the water. Right. It's about a block. It's a technicality, you know. It's a block of, off the waterfront. Uh, right? Facing a waterfront park. Eight Washington was a block off the waterfront, too, John. <laughs> oh, really? Damn ownership. Well, I mean, just give it some time. Everything's going to be a block away from the waterfront sooner <laughs> rather than later over the next thousand years. Um, so, so the the new arena, you know, got the support of Art Agnos, got the support of all the all the people that were against the waterfront arena. But arguably, it's not a great site for a basketball arena. It's across the street from the biggest, what will be, I think, the biggest hospital in the city. It's not really near BART or Caltrain. It's got the, a T-stop in front of it and right. a couple bus routes. Um, it kind of seems like it's it's a worse location than the current arena location in Oakland to me. Really? In, sorry about that. In terms of BART access, Was it your dramatic spring? Yeah, isn't that something? It, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a tricky one, and the, the designs have just been released today. I have not seen them except looking over Mark's shoulder as he's... We just re- I just retweeted that from uh, Mark Rosenberg of the, um, of the of San Jose fame. I mean, that's all you need to see to write a review, right? Like four, well, and then the renderings. JPEGs, right? Many right. people believe that. <laughs> one site plan was enough to have it turned into a toilet bowl. You know? <laughs> I was talking to a coworker. How could they not have seen that? It's like, you know, they're doing all these plans, all these dr- design work. They put out the site plan. They're seeing everything they've pumped into it. They're not yeah. just seeing a round circle on a piece well, of paper. Well, and it's, it's clearly a salad spinner. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I look at that, and what's what naturally my eye is drawn to is 
Bernal and Sutro, but anyway. You didn't even notice the arena, did oh, you? Oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Um, it, it looks like a news TV station logo, I think. You know, I think is that's it? the Warriors logo. Actually. Oh, it is. Oh, look at that. I thought it was like Channel <laughs> Cron Four is their new studio. <laughs> but yeah, it, it doesn't. I mean, you know, it looks it looks nice. So looking at this really quickly, though, like, is there anything that you can look at this design and it's like, oh man, that's going to get axed, or they're going to have to change that, or oh, that's totally going to be different? Is that like, when you look at these drawings, do you kind of go through with a critical eye and go, oh, that's, well, that's never going to survive? Well, you can look at the survive. big horizontal, the dramatic horizontal thing on top, which if it was a football or baseball stadium, that would be hiding the lights. I believe that's, that's called flare, architectural flare. That's pure <laughs> extra. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think that, I, I don't know, I, I don't think that's going to be there. I mean, looking at that last of the four shots, the one that's looking over the grassy field with, you know, hey, look, children can play in front of it. Of course, you know, like you look at, um, hmm. I always worry about that when they show children playing in front of infrastructure or architecture because they did that when they did uh, the, the renderings of uh, the BART uh, and the the, oh, the, um, the viaducts. And they had, oh, kids will play underneath. <laughs> it's like, okay, right. Kids will play in the panhandle once we put two freeways through. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting. It, you know, the the previous design was by Snowheta, and I'm actually don't, they're only involved in like an advisory role. They're now like the design architect. This looks much more like a kind of typical sharp looking arena of the second decade of the 21st century. Right. Trying to have a little pizzazz. I, I'm not going to judge it at all from a few <laughs> four, shots I'm looking four at. Four JPEGs it. seen from... <laughs> Right, John. This is why we brought you here for <laughs> snap judgments, John. That's what we brought. It's, you it's kind of like it's kind of. That's what I try not to do. <laughs> we can have we can have an architectural an architectural game show. Rorschach, show the blob, review it. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Hey, that's something else we could talk about. There, uh, we had uh, previously discussed was the blob. So basically, um, the the Lucas uh, Star Wars Museum <laughs> or whatever the uh, Jabba the Hut uh, in in real life. Um, which, and again, so do you think that, um, so for those who were paying attention, um, Lucas wanted to build a, uh, what was it? A arts and media museum. I think he was calling it, um, museum of, of he was like cleaning filmmaking, his basement, basically, <laughs> um, you know, like a bunch of, you know, lightsaber props, stuff like that. Uh, no. And so he wanted to do that on, um, on the, the Presidio. Right, and where where were they looking at? What were they looking at? One of the buildings by the, like the Letterman Hospital, it's, something somewhere around no, no, there. No, uh, the building that houses Sports Base. Okay, that location facing Chrissy Field. Okay, and yeah, he wanted to build kind of a bad knockoff of the nineteen fifteen Panama Pacific <laughs> Exposition <laughs> that would have been about ninety thousand square feet. And the Presidio Trust rightly said, "Thanks, but no thanks." And he yeah, Ed was, Lee wanted this hard. I mean, he was no. Pushing Ed it. Lee sent a letter. No, the ones who were pushing it mm-hmm. were Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein. Really? I mean, those are serious heavy pushers. Really? Why yeah. were they so vested in that? I mean, you know, Nancy Pelosi, she she sees herself as the reason the Presidio exists. Okay. And there's actually some some fair reason for actually that. converting that into a. Not for the converting, but, but for keeping it from being sold off. Well, as, as a trust. It was right. in the process of being, yeah, for creating the trust when the Republicans took control of Congress and wanted to just get rid of it. Right. 
because it was going to be so expensive. So she has a real proprietary interest, and I will give her full credit for believing this. She felt that Lucas would be the the silver bullet to bring lots of people of all sorts of different demographics into the park rather than just sports basement shoppers and joggers and right. nearby Pacific Dogs. Heights and Presidio Heights residents. Right. Um, so she was, Lucas was really pushing the educational component of it. Um, but anyway, and Diane Feinstein, you know, bless her. I mean, look at the whole thing going on in Washington right now with the torture report. She thinks a lot of what she thinks a lot about. Mm -hmm. And she saw that. Oh, it's, it's hilarious because like Ed Lee supported it. Jerry Brown supported it. But they're just kind of like nice letters sent in. Right. Diane Feinstein was having breakfast and lunch with the head of the Presidio Trust and explaining to her all the reasons and then following up with letters investigating the zoning for the site and trying to explain how they don't have to do all those reviews. She really wanted this Really. Thing. Um, but so George Lucas. Well, how, big, how big is ninety thousand square feet in perspective? Because I mean, once you, once you get past a thousand, it's I have a hard two time. suburban shopping centers. Okay, wow. So, so big, bigish. Yeah. Then he went to Chicago, and he now wants to build an ultra futuristic melting thing that right. would be the size of eight shopping centers. Oh wow. It's 400,000 square feet. I, I think I recognize, with though. With a halo. I just, I just read, the halo looks very similar, though, to what's on top of the Warriors Arena. There you go. See? That's... So maybe that's the new motif. The halo, it's like, it automatically makes the building But good. I love this. It's like, you look at the image that I guess you've posted, you, should, you just break out laughing. Yeah. It's like, you almost... Well, they're each a caricature of a different yes, style of architecture. Exactly. And neither one is the real serious design yeah well i mean it's almost like this one is almost like a <laughs> less angular gary or something no like it's that. a pile of snow that they dumped there that still hasn't melted yet <laughs> and they keep spray painting it white so do you think chicago's are they actually going to build this is this actually There's a lot of people in chicago who are just as protective of the waterfront really? okay. as people in san francisco so it'll be interesting the powers that be push a lot stronger but i think a lot of the powers that be it's a bit like going back to the Don Fisher Museum at the Presidio Parade Ground. Everybody loved the idea of Fisher doing this really incredible mm -hmm. contemporary art collection. Then they saw the building. And I think a lot of people who, you know, it's Chicago, we can always bend the rules to make this work on the water. Once they saw this thing, I think a lot of the supporters, it's like the mayor Emanuel's a big supporter. I think he turned around and yeah. half of the people behind him had disappeared. <laughs> Uh, Peter Hartlob coming in to, uh, not to say that he's a Lucas apologist, but uh, he says, I think the collection is likely cool, much more than Star Wars crap. So, which are fair enough. I mean, he's, you know, American graffiti crap. But just tell Peter, we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. So that's the whole issue. That's all, well, you know, welcome to Burrito Justice Radio, where it's <laughs> half-formed opinions and If half it was a museum commentary. of old Sherlock Holmes movies and Perry Mason TV episodes, mm -hmm. I would have been just whoring for that thing. Well, I'm just paper. hoping that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, so I, I was just hoping the museum though the you know like the um episode one through three uh section of the museum is like set off on like a highly unstable piece of ground <laughs> so you know my theory on on that so basically they're doing um episode seven and there'll be seven eight and nine and if these don't suck which i'm you know pretty hopeful it's looking promising you know i actually quite liked the the uh the preview that came out then again, I would watch two hours of the Millennium Falcon flying around, That's or X-Wings, <laughs> you know, two feet above water. I, I'd watch that all day. Um, that being said, it looked pretty interesting. 
Uh, it can't be worse than one through three. But if seven, eight, and nine are interesting, my theory is that J.J. Uh, Abrams will get to reboot episodes one, two, and three. That's my theory. Stunned. It'll silence. just be a circular loop. It'll it be will. like if they touch four, there will be a, 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 a rebellion within America. <laughs> It'll be like that BART train loop we were talking exactly. about yesterday, where you just walk to your destination through the through train. the trains. Yeah. So yeah. yesterday I was uh, taking BART home, and uh, there were two trains that came within. It wasn't even ninety seconds; it was sixty seconds of each other. Um, and the original plan for BART in nineteen fifty, the nineteen fifties. Um, was having headways of 90 seconds. I'm like, oh, God, what, I traveled into some sort of alternate future here. Yeah. This is very strange. It was pretty awesome. And then Mark said, basically, what if we had just a giant loop and the train used basically, the train is effectively the tunnel. Well, that's the idea. One of the ideas of the subway to Fisherman's Wharf through North yes. Beach would be hey. a single tunnel just looping back. I don't, I don't have a good feeling about that tunnel that going off to you know, the other side of... No, the, the problems make a lot of sense, but... I mean, I think to Fisherman's Wharf... Obviously, but the issue it looks like um, part, and I didn't, I mean, I should have guessed this, but um, effectively, like, due to, you know, this thing is so expensive, what, 1.5 billion or whatever ridiculous amount of money, because obviously not using tunnel boring machines properly, a passion <laughs> of mine. Um, but basically, they didn't, sounds like they didn't make the station length long enough to Everyone's handle been saying that. multiple trains and so they really couldn't have high traffic coming in from uh, all the way to the marina because the station design couldn't mm. handle the load i mean like oh, i'm gonna go i butt my head against the microphone but that'd be too loud for you guys <laughs> um so city of san francisco edley just just give me the next tunnel boring machine that's all that i ask let me choose it Got a really one of those 21 meter wide ones where you basically because Mark, you were we were talking about this earlier mm-hmm. though. Like con- construction costs is really the station that costs the most money. Right. The tunnel the itself tunnel. is pretty cheap, you know. Say in that hundreds of millions range, um, and the tunnel boring machine itself is 20, 30 million. Um, the stations themselves—that's what's taking until twenty nineteen. The, the tunnels right. are done. We'll go right. to Union Square and yeah, look right. at the disaster zone. Well, no, if we has that green astroturf, we could just do that inside the station too. I'm sure that'd be very easy to keep it clean. It only looks like that because they're not working. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's uh, mass transit. Um, and uh, this save this thought though for basically cost of construction. I want to get into that after uh, our next break, and we go a bit to the uh, the historical side of things and do some contrasts and, and comparisons. So, what's your money on the Star Wars thing? Though getting the Lucas thing, I should say, getting built in Chicago. What do you think? What do you think will? What do you think? You think will end up something being big and they'll regret, or do you think it'll get modified and pared down, or will it move somewhere else? I don't think it'll move somewhere else. I think it might get modified and pared down. The question will be if the opponents... Fights like this are interesting. They're kind of... The opposition comes up and the idea is we really want big changes. If they get fervent enough in the fight, then they just want to kill it. Right. You know, like um, Don Fisher had a very bad museum design. He submitted a second one eight or nine months later. If that had been the first one, it probably would have gotten built. Right. People would have said, like, well, I don't know, it's a little modern for the Presidio, but boy, the art's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by then, it's kind of like you've you've Lost wounded the beast. You want to keep going. It's it's a little like uh, Occupy Oakland. We close this freeway tonight. What do we do tomorrow night? We can't just say, hey, we've really made an impact. We got to keep up in the game. Yeah. Well, then again, over there, it's four days in a row now. Which uh, is, you got it. I mean, it's a fairly impressive from a logistics point of view. 
I'd say the CHP is praying for rain. Oh yeah, really? That's I was actually wondering like how that that's the sign of a true protester. The whole world is watching except when it's raining. So, um, so okay. Well, money on their mark. Do you think it'll actually give out? What if they did it like half of a Death Star? I think they went with a really extreme proposal for those renderings and are probably planning and scaling it back. How often does that happen? How often do people put out ridiculous things knowing there's no chance of that? And also a caveat to that question, how often do people put out the ridiculous thing and that actually gets approved? Because <laughs> that's got to happen sometimes. We're like, I cannot believe they actually accepted that. Oh my God, what do we do? Well, sometimes the really nice thing gets approved and then down the road construction costs go up and someone can't afford to build it. And then they're stuck trying to figure out how to make it look like that without spending as much money. <laughs> we said granite, but stucco will be it. <laughs> right. It looks kind of like granite once it gets dirty. Um, so a, uh, a friend of mine who's a, a, a DJ on, on BFF who shall rename, uh, remain nameless, um, he uh, was working for... Uh, what's that architecture uh, app where you basically can go through, look at pictures and tag stuff, with categories? Um, it's, um, I can't remember the right name of it right now. House? House, I think it's House. Um, and he oh, was, huge. yeah, he refused to make stucco as a category because <laughs> he hated it so much. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't go and categorize anything, which I found. So I, I, I love <laughs> stopping the trend right there. Um, all right. All right. So, hey, it's one o'clock. Um, any other um, sort of uh, big planned things that you want to uh, talk about before we go into our next musical break? Anything on the horizon where basically there's a big, large drawing, something that looks either potentially ridiculous or potentially cool? I mean, or what do you what do you is there anything that you're really excited about that's coming up on the horizon that's being built in San Francisco or the Bay Area? So, other than the second Transbury tube, we're working on that. Yeah. Super quick. Uh the Trans Bay Area actually has some real good towers at early stages in the works that could also be really, you could start seeing a real interesting high-rise residential neighborhood start to develop there. The Gene Gang one in particular. Looks, yeah, the OMA looks one's good. Yeah. looking good too. Okay, we'll tweet some links of these uh, during the musical break. Anything else? So, or was, or was that your contribution, Mark? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that, that neighborhood will take a while to shape up. I'm kind of interested to see what happens to Selma with so many, so many more people moving in there. And it's mm. not really any one project. There's just a lot of things going on there, and it's right. um, it's been developing as a residential neighborhood since the '90s. But it's it's not pedestrian friendly. So there's always been a lot of challenges in making that feel like a neighborhood where people are going to walk on the street. And it'll be interesting to see if that critical mass of people right. eventually turns it into that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and actually, sorry, there is one thing I wanted to go in for the next musical break. Uh, we're talking about, um, yeah, materials and, and designs that will, uh, for houses and other things that won't stand uh, the test of time, things that will look ridiculous. And I think reclaimed um, wood, reclaimed wood uh, which you were remarking, what was your remark? What's happening to reclaimed wood? Well, they're running out of it. Are now, we at peak so reclaimed wood? We're reclaiming the reclaimed wood <laughs> as coffee shops go out of business. <laughs> But what were you saying? What are they doing in terms They're of They're actually like, bringing in wood from China that in many cases is just out to have wood. Lead. Well, it has lead paint. No, it's reclaimed, but it has lead oh, paint it is. on it. Oh, God. Yeah. So the, Whoops. yeah, we're, we're running out. Going to move on to something new. Yeah. I think the aren't black buildings cool thing has uh -huh. definitely gone too far. I, I wrote about it about five or six months ago, and I just keep seeing more and more and more. 
it's almost every renovation now. Yes. It seems to be painting the whole thing dark gray or black. Really? It's the classic when there's the surprise you don't expect. It's super cool. And right. at some point, it's like someone just dumped a big thing of, you know, Kelly Moore paint on <laughs> some neighborhoods of the city. Right. Right. Um, all right. And then the other thing was, um, so there's that. Um, there's the exposed wood on the buildings. Um, and what, in terms of, um, like, other, how much how much do you guys look at the interior of buildings? Or are you mainly focused on, on the exterior? I mean, do you ever look at, because I know one thing, you're like, a lot of these renovations where they're basically, you know, gutting these, you know, glorious sort of Victorian redwood interiors and then making this sort of, like, Actually, that, overly flat design. most upsetting architectural things in San uh-huh. Francisco is the, the house flipping just by gutting, you know, especially you see it in, there's a lot of houses in the sunset Richmond where it's actually a gorgeous house with all the original woodwork and you come back six months later and they've, you know, made everything like quote unquote modern. Right. And uh, who knows what happened to all that stuff they ripped out, you know, and they've, right. they've jacked up the price to $200,000. Yep. Yeah. Tragedy in one act. All right. Okay, so we're going to go into John's next musical set here. I think this first song in this block is Lloyd Cole. Yes. That sound right? Yes. Yeah, once Lloyd Cole of the Commotions, who just keeps putting out great music, and I'm glad people keep giving him little contracts that give him enough money to make the next one. Okay, so this is Lloyd Cole. That's all right. See you in- 
back. It's not quite one o'clock. It's a little past one o'clock. It's one seventeen. <laughs> but you know what that means? It's time for this week before now in history. I'm still working on a good sound effect for that, <laughs> other than my dramatic saturation of the microphone. Because um, again, the 1850s, it's, it's tough. You can't really do train sounds, because there wasn't a train in San Francisco until uh, the one down to San Jose in 1861 to 1864. Um, most of the boat sounds I have have like electrically driven horns, can't which you obviously... Like a clanking bell? Something, and that's about what I got, that there and are horses. people behind you saying, there's gold in them there. Huzzah, hills. huzzah. Sound of people gold mining. I don't know what that would sound like. Get some gravel. Uh, Clank your jeans, Mr. Levi. <laughs> so if you do have suggestions for a good historical sound uh, soundboard edition, please uh, do let me know on that. Um, but we're lucky enough to uh, dig in, and one of the things that we've been playing around with, we're talking about uh, buildings... Um, not that every building should be preserved, obviously, because then you would have a bunch of old, crappy buildings. Um, but there are a lot of buildings that, you know, where they, t- they were glorious in their day, they got torn down, and whether we would still want them or not, where, uh, um, you know, it'd still be nice to have around. You know, Fox Theater, obviously a tragedy when it got born, torn down, especially with what it got replaced with. You know, uh, um, that was just John shaking his head. Fascinating thing. That building was only like 30 years old when it got torn down. That's insane. But it was also part of an era with TVs, yeah. and it was just that the demand yeah. wasn't there for yeah. that huge of a theater. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're lucky to have some good venues. Um, you know, I'm sure they could have turned into a great concert place, but, you know, the Fillmore, Great American, stuff like that. Uh, but that was, that was big. I mean, how many seats was that? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was about two or 3,000 seats. It, it, was, <laughs> it, it was the classic building designed at the end of the era that perfected all the lessons of the era just as the era was coming to an end right and so it was kind of almost a white elephant from the day it opened really and and there was no regard for preservation back then as your building will show us right um so anyway that horrifically cementy that's not really brutalist though what do you say no that's there's a lot of cement the big cement forms it's ugly i hope they build something else there Hope something nice comes of that at some point in the future. Um, another one we were talking about was the Montgomery block. And for those of you uh, who are unfamiliar with it, um, if you, uh, I mean, just Google it, but basically uh, it was uh, the first, what we would consider sort of like, I want to say modern, but like large. Um, it filled up the, basically the block right where the, um, right where the Transamerica Tower is now. Um, and it had offices and stores, and um, it was basically four stories tall. It was fireproof, which was a big deal, given the city had been burning down every six months, um, built out of stone. And it was quite a remarkable-looking building. Earthquake-proof. Earthquake-proof. It did well through various earthquakes, did survive through 1906, built in 1853, and they tore it down in, was it 1950? 63, 53, and then they had a parking lot there, and then they did Transamerica. I want to say 63. That's the incredible thing is this incredible four-story brick building that was beloved by people yeah. you know sun yat sin planned the revolution there it was the bohemian newspapers building. writers the argonaut was out of there mark twain worked out of there there were like hot tubs and saunas and stores yeah, and, and the extent bars. that people know it, they think it was torn down for the trans-america pyramid and it wasn't it was torn down for just, a parking lot just for a parking lot and because i mean was there but uh, and i don't know how you know, I didn't talk about this. I don't want to surprise you and you know point you into a corner or something you didn't know. But I mean, what was it? Was it just that 
it was like they didn't want to renovate more of it or they just didn't like it or this the parking was such a valuable commodity in the 60s where you just needed a parking lot there. I don't know the story, but I guess that you had this building owner who had this big old brick building and the action was all in the big new buildings that were being talked about going up. And hey, why not tear it down and get some money from parking? I wow. mean, it, it's the kind of thing you can't you can't turn the clock back and figure it out in any rational way. Right. So um, we well, in San Francisco was, you know, probably when you, you said it was turned out in the 50s. I mean, the, the city lost population for a good That's part true. of the 20th century. I mean, it wasn't you had a few hundred thousand people leaving town. It wasn't unlike. You know, all the buildings you see that have been torn down for parking in Detroit or, you know, obviously it never reached the point of Detroit. But Mm -hmm. look all over the country and most business districts are 30 percent, 50 percent parking. And most of those parking lots used to be a building not unlike that. Right. I mean, this is this one was interesting because it was such a famous. It was. Yeah. If you go to the 1939 WPA Guide to San Francisco, a terrific, you know, it's got a paragraph in there. And that was the interest that there was no compunction about doing it. Right, right. That is, there's no looking back. It's sort of like that thing that was going to get torn down and missed by the next generation, but not right. particularly by the generation because it was sort of there and they wouldn't miss it until it was gone. Um, so I was looking through some uh, articles digging around in the California Daily Alta from uh, 1853 when it was built. And you have to remember at the time, um, I mean, basically, there had been a fire from 1849 to 1851. There basically was a fire every six months. The city burned down <laughs> six times. And this is, you know, why there is fire on the flag of San Francisco. Awkward a flag as it is, it is still, you know, it was, they, they, it burned down and they built it right back up again. They finally realized that perhaps um, building, making housing out of tarred cloth um, for walls <laughs> in the interior was not the best plan. Um, and so looking more to brick and stone uh, construction. Of course, then you also had, you know, if you look at the eighth, uh, earthquake in 1868, which did considerable damage to brick facades. So it's like, okay, we're trying to protect, protect against fire. Oh, okay, well, here comes the brick. Okay, here comes the earthquake. So, you know, sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But anyway, the Montgomery block they built out of stone, lovely facade. Hey, Mark, would you, while I'm talking, would you mind looking up uh, Montgomery Bullock on oh, sure. uh, Wikipedia, tweeting a picture of that, just because I can't talk and type at the same time. I've failed miserably in that in the past year on the show. And wasn't it built, like, on a raft of... Yes, redwood. Yeah. It basically, it was it was fill. It was on fill, right. and that's why they found the Niantic, the ship underneath, when they were doing the construction for the uh, the Transamerica Tower. Um, it was it was basically effectively a big water lot, and this the the lawyers that owned the property and a bunch of other properties they basically bought it cheap, filled it in, um, and at the time apparently uh, people were joking that it was you know sort of mocked as it was being built. Um, they people said oh it's going to float away, which actually would be a pretty cool feature to have a big, <laughs> large block like that floating away on a raft of redwood. Um, built it out there, and looking at the articles, I just tweeted three of the articles here. Um, if you look at that first one from, let's see, the August, um, August 1853, um, they just started building it in August. They probably did the infrastructure a month or two before that. Um, this thing was finished in about four months. Like it's a stand. And if you look at the article, that was so August. So the BCD review, the BCDC reviews went fine in oh, terms of the waterfront access. Clearly, <laughs> I can only try to imagine it's a it's sec, uh, the the I don't even how to say it. Sequa, 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 sequa approvals sequa. for like water lots. <laughs> if you actually want to say, you know what, I want to go 
about 10 to 100 feet offshore, fill that in and build something on it. You thought a pier was bad? Oh boy, just try going, <laughs> can you imagine? And the reviewer would be fine because that reviewer had already bought the next set of um, <laughs> underwater lots that were further to the east. So it's like, yeah. great, bring the shore to us. So it was built on this fill raft of redwood logs. This, you know, like I think what they say, 137 by 120 feet. Um, and that was August. There's another second um, article there from uh, September of 1853. And this one's good in two ways, because basically it says that by mid, mid-September, they'd already built up um, to four stories. Now, obviously, it wasn't finished yet, but I mean, they're just building things incredibly rapidly here. And this is a building that was around for, for 110 years. And they basically built it in four months. And if you look at that post in December, it was, it was done. And then there's another post that I didn't put in there in January about this huge fight that broke out in a billiards bar in the ground floor of the Montgomery building. And so like, it was clearly part of the routine at that point, but how just quickly they were building things at that, that day. Um, and in a minute, like, I want to read this review, but just going into basically cost and time and never mind approval, but the construction process itself and just how long it takes to build things, never mind Well, it's like an asymptote. As we go along, it just takes exponentially longer and longer mm. to build things. Yeah, longer than the life of the people living in and more than the GDP of the city that it's being uh, built in. Um, but that second one, the review of the Montgomery Block, I thought I, this is a particularly appropriate because it's basically urban critic from 1853 uh, talking talking about it um, and saying, about face, now that Halleck, Peachy, and Billings, which they basically didn't call it, start calling it the Montgomery Block till about five or ten years after it. They called it by that the builder's name, the lawyers that owned the building. And then I'd actually be able to call it the Washington Block because that was actually one of the streets it was oh, on. Oh, right, right. Um, then that turned the Montgomery Block at some point after that. Um, their new block is carried to completion of the fourth story. Hey, great job, guys. In a month, people are afforded a fine opportunity of admiring the facings. Now, the facings is, is italicized. So, again, this is the beautiful thing about these posts and these articles is these are things that were incredibly hilarious to the people who were writing them. And now, like, I, I don't know why <laughs> facings it's so funny to this guy in 1853, but clearly the pack is like, you know what? No, no. I want you to change the types that put in italics. I don't want regular print. I want italics on this word. That's a good point. That would take work. You've got to be reaching into a different drawer yeah. and pulling all those out. Yeah. We now appreciate the remark of Skluzik, who is obviously somebody they knew, um, that the hardest faces in town may be seen on Montgomery Street through his physician former occasions when he remarked that the ornamental headings of the building were decidedly wall-eyed was well nigh incomprehensible. <laughs> so, 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 John, will, will, will your views be looked like this? Just a bunch <laughs> of cheap shots. It's like, oh, aren't I funny? I'm so clever. 165 years from now, 161 years from now, like, will be people looking at your reviews like, what is this guy doing? Well, they actually do that. I, I have a review today of the Bay Lights where I, I for the <laughs> second time, write about why I kind of wish they would go away. Uh-huh. And, the email I'm getting, the extreme, they've definitely gotten that strain of emails. Yep. Um, anyway, so yeah, there's always a review. People have opinions and opinions about those opinions. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so December, um, end of December, 1853, the building's done. So <laughs> a, a, a city block worth of a building done in four months. I mean, I don't even think we could do in that. Brick. We, in brick. In like, brick. If we threw like all safety and legal and cost considerations aside, I don't think we could do that. 
I'd, it would be tough. There's a new little um, pedestrian alley next to the California Historical Society on Mission at Annie Street near the Spur Building. And the people who did it were telling me that they it took two years from conception to putting this thing in. Mm-hmm. And that they've just had people saying, how did you do it so quickly? Right, it's not even a building. No, no, it's a few pieces of concrete, like kind of set against a sidewalk. But they're just dazzled that they were able to race through the process. Like permitting that. a parklet takes significantly longer than building the Montgomery block. Like, <laughs> well, also right now you've got such a backlog with all yeah. the. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I. It, it's amazing. Like you talk to developers or architects who want to do, we'll say, a twelve-story condo building on Market Street. Mm-hmm. They're waiting six months to get a planner assigned. Right. You know, this is for something that might be an $80, $90 million project. Well, you know, bill during a recession, approved during a recession. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I could wonder, like, you know, on our next big earthquake when whatever, you know, open land becomes available, um, you know, just at that point, I wonder, like, will that speed up? Will we be able to build something in a reasonable amount of time? Wasn't the entire streetcar network built in, like, a month or two after the 1906 earthquake? they they had to replace all the track right and basically built a citywide network in a matter of months well they had not even months i mean some of it they just laid the tracks right on the street to get the rubble out that i know they did that right away um yeah but they did it like then again in 1870 or so didn't the south change the gauge of all of his railroad overnight. tracks well, in they a couple of days for months but yeah, yeah they still, did it overnight basically yeah, yeah. it was basically you know i think there's a will there's a way you can get things done quickly so that'll be interesting to see you know what the, what the earthquake shack equivalent will be in the next time around well, and, I mean, and how valuable at, that'll be oh here's this earthquake shack from the 2019 earthquake that you know this is like 2070 a, a fema trailer a fema trailer and it'll be worth like you know 20 million dollars adjusted for inflation in 2072 so well if you look at the we were just talking about the central subway and that project's you know which is a very short extension effectively putting in a couple like two new stations mm. underground three, yeah well there's th- or three yeah mm. it's taking significantly longer than the original build out of bart like the whole thing it just talking construction time not planning time yeah is the cement harder to make now i mean hey at least the tunnel boring machine isn't stuck underground like the one for the highway in seattle replacing yeah, we're doing the like yay <laughs> so um anyway so that's our historical review for um uh for 1850 there Oh, Montgomery Block. Oh, and hey, a good segue for me personally. Um, uh, so for those of you who remember the Bike to Books map, uh, we're doing a new version, a poster version of that. Oh, that's great. Um, and that's going to be uh, two feet by three feet with a lot more, like double or triple the number of entries and stops on there. Um, don't know if that's going to get out before Christmas, uh, but it will be out soon. We will let you know. And Montgomery Block plays uh, a lit- from the literary world. It was a incredibly significant I think the Daily Alto moved in there. So many. I mean, it really was a cultural nexus um, at the time. And also Sun Yat-sen, where you're saying, I didn't realize he, um, was it Sun Yat-sen? Who yeah. Is, yeah uh, worked out of there in like 1911 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many people who worked out of there. And it really was a uh, cultural and also later on counter-cultural uh, center for San Francisco. Um so next up, what were we going to talk about here? Uh, we should hear some of Mark's list. music. We're we running some out of Mark's time. music. We have half an hour. Uh-oh. You want to throw on a set? Um, and then let's throw on a set of Mark's music. And then we can talk about um, how much density is too much density. 
<laughs> Do you mean near my house or in the rest of the city? <laughs> Was it uh, Denimbi? <laughs> All right, here is the lovingly handing the cable over. Mark hooking up his portable computing device to play exciting music. What do you have up for us first here, Mark? Here comes the rain by the Eurythmics. Oh, that's right. We got a big storm. It's Weathergeddon. Precipageddon 2014. Though this is going to be a fairly big storm. We haven't had one for a while, and there is going to be some localized flooding, and some there is going to be some stuff blown over. My office will be flooding, I guarantee. Oh, that's right. You're in the... Uh, the flood belt. The, the flood belt. <laughs> Ready? Folsom. Fulsom, actually, no, we're not there. We're, we're just leaky. Cause oh, that's right. You're over a new, your new one. I was thinking of... There's um, a hole in the roof, yeah. actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. So no, no, here comes the sun. Do you have any Annie Lennox in there? <laughs> All right, here Ready? we go. Yep.
What's been built up will collapse All of your dreams, they're all fulfilled Late New Year's Eve paper had on your head It was hard to believe that you'd ever be dead And that dream that you're falling had since your father's Bird on your shoulder that whispers That he crashed, that he crashed 
Last night I dreamed that I dug my own grave So I climbed down inside that I patiently waited Down in the ground while I breathed the cold air Blackbirds came down that I nest And hold on a second. I have to I have to get something prepped here. One second. One second. Stay on target. We're passing through the magnetic field. Oh no, that's not it. That's not what I want to play. Hold on a second. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, that didn't work. Um, one second. So uh, San Francisco Unified School District has just canceled school for tomorrow because of Rainageddon 2014. I'm not making this up. I just got an email. Um, yeah. So anyway, there's that. Uh, welcome to California. This reminds me of being a kid growing up. In Buffalo. The great rains the, of uh, Buffalo. Was school canceled whenever it rained? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were open for snow, but we closed <laughs> for rain. But you'd, you'd eagerly tune into the radio in the morning and wait to see if your school was closed or not, to see if your school district was closed. And so now kids in California get the same thing. With burrito justice. Yes, yes. Burrito justice radar Is report. There thunder, too? Yeah. Oh, anyway. Okay, so... Um, while the rain comes in here, uh, yeah, so we're just a couple more things we want to close out here in the last uh, 15 minutes of the show. Um, a little bit about uh, how much density is too much density. Uh, Valencia Street as a, uh, as a street in a neighborhood in a walkable area and how it compares to other places. Uh, and a few other topics we can throw in there. We're talking about, uh, let's go into how much density is too much density. You're sort of joking about how, like, oh, well, hey. I said, as long as it's not near my house, there's no such thing. Right. Well, what got me thinking about it, there's an economist, uh, Edward Glazer, or Nathan Glazer, something like that, who wrote a book about kind of the, the whole need to just urbanize mm -hmm. a year or two ago. Got a lot of attention, made a lot of fun of California. We talked about Manhattan and how wonderful it would be if, you know, just kind of declare X number of buildings to be landmarks and pretty much just build the rest and you know look at all these wonderful yellow brick slab buildings that provide middle-class housing mm -hmm. all. but the flip side is if you tear down everything to put it up you kind of destroy what makes people want to be there right you know well, you, you could house a lot more people on telegraph hill if you bulldozed everything on telegraph hill and put you know a bunch of golden gateway complexes there but then you wouldn't have telegraph hill anymore. right right um, so what about Valencia Street? I mean, and again, what do you like about it? What do you think could should be done? 
Because it is, it is an interesting street. I think at this point we all sort of take for granted, but Mark, as you were saying when you first moved here, you're like, what? This is the street everybody's talking about? Yeah, and it wasn't as fancy, I guess, as it is now. Right. And it, you know, the sidewalk was a lot narrower and there was more traffic and there was a bus. I mean, this was only 11 or 12 years ago. And, you know, and at that point it had already gone through the, the boom in the 90s. Right. So there, there was a lot of small businesses there. But what we've seen is it's become you know more expensive almost than Hayes Valley in the mm -hmm. last last five years and it's right. it's interesting because the physical environment is not that different than almost anywhere else in the city I mean it's not a particularly attractive street it happens to have a very good location but the good location is all the usage I mean it is yeah. close to Dolores Park but in terms of there's you look at kind of the traditional attractions of a place like Grant Avenue in North Beach or whatever, there's this real kind of palpable, atmospheric, you are here quality. And Valencia Street, it's all the experience. Mm -hmm. And it's not, oh, look at the bay, oh, look at the hills, oh, look at the Victorians. It's kind of, it was always kind of the back street to Mission Street. Right. And you could be in a lot of, I mean, when you're standing there, you could be in a lot of other cities. Right. It wouldn't necessarily be very different. And the new buildings going up are very perfunctory, pop in what zoning allows kind of things. Right. Instead of, instead of stucco with rounded bays, it's, you know, that mm. kind of uh, cement board with right angled bays, but that's about it. <laughs> really changing things up oh, there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but again, like how, um, I mean, and it's, it's interesting because basically everyone complains about the, the you know, Manhattanization. That's always been the word uh, for the past, well, probably since, what, the 60s or 70s. I mean, I'm assuming that popped up first in the early late 60s, 70s. early 70s. Um, and I think the example, the counterexample everyone brings in is Paris, right, where there's, you know, maybe six stories on average and considerably more density than, than San Francisco. Um, or Barcelona. Or Barcelona, another good example of that. So, you know, is that, you know, I think most people in San Francisco would be fairly, I don't think they'd be unhappy with that kind of model. And also, I think from a cultural point of view, those, those are two cities that have, you know, done fairly well with but density. But it does, it does depend on the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, the thing, the thing about what I think has changed, here really quick, the two things I think have changed the notion of towers in and of themselves as evil has gone down. Mm -hmm. You know, Rincon Hill, when that stuff was being approved, I had people telling me, oh, this is going to start a whole new war against high-rises. Right. And I hear complaints about them, but you've never seen the, we need to bring in new height limits in this city. We need to stop it. It's more we need to keep it off the waterfront or whatever. Right. And the other thing that was striking, the whole fight, like over the arena we talked about, the opponents wanted to show they would support an arena, just not there. Right. You know, so when the mission, when the Mission Bay idea came up, it was embraced. Or Pier Seventy, you know, that project, it was embraced. And I think that's different than a generation ago where nothing would have been good enough for the real diehards. Right. Right. Well, what's also interesting too is people also now railing, at least here, railing against the sort of Vancouverization of the waterfront as well right and you know i lived in vancouver for a number of years and remember what it was like you know in the uh, the expo lands uh, the, where all the all the glass uh, towers are now 
um, and you know, City of Glass, as it's been called by Douglas mm-hmm. Copeland. And you know, it's it's nice there. I mean, the towers are tall and the apartments are kind of small, but they got the density there, and right. they they had a plan. It was one owner, and they basically had a semi-coherent plan to get that out there. Well, I I think though that what a lot of people are pointing at is that. So they, they got all that density in Vancouver is still just about as expensive as San Francisco. And, and, and it, no burritos. And no burritos. <laughs> I mean, what I'm the not, fuck I'm actually not that? sure that's related. I think it's um, very closely correlated. But, you know, it's it's saying, hey, you know, they let all these buildings go up. They did exactly mm-hmm. what everyone in San Francisco wants to do, and it's not any more affordable. Well, I think also you look at the density in New York, it doesn't make it any more affordable, right? It's like well, actually, it, New York is much more affordable. And well, because there, there are areas the outside the area, density. You're right, yeah. exactly. You look, the city it itself, Manhattan itself, but there's many other boroughs are there as a safety valve or what do you want to call it. As a... But that's part of an issue, the whole idea like, oh, people are being driven to Oakland or whatever. I mean, San Francisco physically is a small city. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think the problem here, yeah, though, is 46.7 that it, it becomes yeah. very, very expensive in this area mm. for people to commute because of the way our legislative boundaries are drawn and right. how our transit networks work and how many people mm. you know to move somewhere where they can afford to live have to buy another car or have to buy a car right you know it there's a lot of trade-offs here that people don't necessarily have to make in other expensive places that have a functioning broad transit but this system. is what glazer or other economists would say which is well then why do you have a million acres of open space declared you know if you You've built on hills. If you just built on a few more of those hills, you could put in a lot more housing. You know, why isn't San Bruno Mountain covered with five thousand houses? Things like that. Or just level San Bruno Mountain as they Or just to level it. Fill exactly. in the bay. No, hey, there's a lot more room. I'm not right saying there. I agree with it, but yeah. it, or, it's... or why isn't the peninsula full of apartment <laughs> buildings next to Caltrain stations? I think that's an easier, easier argument for anyone to make. Yeah. But if I live in one of those little towns, I can give you a hundred good reasons am, why not. I'm sure. <laughs> why did you go in the next town? But that over? was interesting that like um, Menlo Park had an anti-growth initiative for its downtown area. Yeah. Even and, though there's like empty lots of old cars. And it lost resoundingly. Yeah. yeah. Which you know, Berkeley, Berkeley was trying to downzone its area. The same thing, you know, in downtown Berkeley, the initiative this fall that would have essentially... Sin, it didn't say this, but the real purpose was to just kind of stop things downtown. That lost mm-hmm. by like a three to one margin. Yeah. So there, there are changes in the culture. Yeah. So what if we well, built a series of burrito-shaped towers? How would you re- review that? If you had a classic building shaped and designed and looking like, you know, as, as much as you could, that a burrito. Was the 80s, basically. <laughs> <laughs> how would how would that get the John King treatment? Well, and so it, let's assume let's assume I don't know, Rincon size, say tw- thirty stories. Well, if it was a really nice textured, like tomato flower wrapping, so there's. Oh no, this is with the foil. So I just mean, with the foil. Yeah, we're not doing the tortilla here because clearly you're not going to from a structural integrity point of view. Okay. I think the foil would be very important for the burrito. I tower. think matted foil. I would go for it. Okay. But if it was the if it was the bright side, I would have trouble oh, with it. Totally, totally. And what kind of crinkle would you demand? Would you demand like smooth, or would you want like a, a pretty good uh, crinkle on there? Subtle crinkle. Subtle crinkle. I have Jeannie Grand gang do the trickle okay the, the, the whatever <laughs> the crinkle you want it you want nice faceted bits and 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 mark so like would you do a different st- i'd design it in the bag in the bag with the chip yeah no, no, no. Would, would, would it be kind of sticking out of the bag maybe 
and you know, well, like chips down more below for be a double skin. Yeah, it'd be a double skin, so you get some shading. That's and, nice uh, with the weathering, <laughs> and they get the chips down below, sort of kind of like a modern art kind of exhibit there, and making right and the, two the, giant pools of salsa. Of salsa. <laughs> <laughs> that's the water feature. I think that's. I think that's. I think uh, the height limit will determine if the burrito sticks out of the bag or not. Ah, yeah, that's true. I have to bring it back from the water then. I think. <laughs> you know, we're not doing that in forty feet. I can assure you. Uh, that'd be maybe. That'd be. Well, maybe you're gonna like need a, something to drink after. That's true. That's true. You could do an IPA next to it, um, though. That would be you know shorter. That would be probably more. You know, I'd twenty like stories. See, I'd like to see a city of burritos. Just imagine a skyline, <laughs> dozens of burritos. You'd have to go structurally or whatever. You'd have to go with some of them being flour. No, yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced on that. I think the continuity of the foil, and you can maybe get that variation in the foil. Um, but I'm also, you know, again with earthquakes, you want any burstage with the earthquake coming in, then the, the tower collapsing because it's not, you know, well, structurally the foil, sound. foil, it would just shimmy down. It would look like the Chicago Lucas Museum. Oh, God, afterwards, <laughs> sort of these piles, sad piles of foil. Beans uh, everywhere. Oh, sad. Beans flowing down the street. Kind of like that uh, uh, molasses spill in Boston in the uh, 1880s. <laughs> where basically, we've talked about this. Yes, we have. Show, yeah. We have, you know. And so, like, you know, this this river of black beans kind of tumbling down Mission Street due to a failed burrito tower. Yes. I'm liking this. So, but then some out-of-town architect would make a mission, like a, a, a California burrito with fries in it, which would be sacrilege. And then, of course, you'd have the Chipotle Tower, which would just be, you know, poorly constructed, cold inside and outside. But thick. Dry, thick. Thick. That's the main thing. Yeah. You know, all of the uh, all the materials would be, you know, like, you know, theoretically, uh, ethically mined, but <laughs> it would all be reclaimed wood. That would all be... right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Stop. Stop. <laughs> wooden burrito worse than a wooden nickel. All right. Um, so we go here on your uh, last song here, John. And uh, just uh, as we close out, thank you very much for coming on uh, BFF and Burrito Justice Radio, BFF.FM. Um you can. How often do you have an article? Every Sunday I have Cityscapes, which is a little squib about a single building. On Wednesdays I have my place column, mm-hmm. and then usually in the paper at least one other day of the week. Like I yesterday had a piece on the Presidio competition, so about three times a week. Okay. And then you're uh, John King SF Cron, is that it? John King SF Cron, yes. At Twitter? Yes, so people don't think I'm in the CNN. Got it. And then uh, Marcus Marcosaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can check out stuff on uh, Tumblr. Good Tumblr is uh, your um, uh, Gables. Gables, 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 Gables <laughs> is pretty damn awesome. New Gables, old Gables, fresh Gables, sad Gables. The backlog of Gables to post. The Gablery. Who knew that was such a very. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, oh, finish, my pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we're cl- closing out here with uh, Hank Snow. The Reindeer Boogie. Thanks. Talk to you guys next week. Old Santa began to swing and to sway. Thought he heard a toy drum start to beat, but he found it worth the rhythm of the reindeer's feet. The reindeer boogie in the middle of the road. Tonight we have a mighty big load. Don't boogie to the left and the boogie to the right. Do the reindeer boogie this Christmas Eve night.